Dennis, thank you so much. I want to testify to something. Uh, we've had some people rotating babysitting out there, and today they were playing hide-and-go-seek, and we were getting ready to go to lunch, and we couldn't find Avery. And so we had 10, 12 people looking for Avery, and I turned to this one person and said, well, we found her, and I said, what do I have to do to make her stand still? And I thought, that's something I never thought I'd say. <laughs> Wonderful, huh? I have been very apprehensive about this weekend. Um, it's hard to teach the teachers, you know? But I've been ministered to by the words of a friend of mine named Jack Taylor who years ago told me this. Frank, there is not a man or woman on the face of this planet that is as free as Christ died to make them. That's the only way I can get up here. Because I don't care who you are. You can be more free than you are right now. I try to be free, let me tell you. Um, I don't know if you know this, but freedman means free man. Frank means free man. So I'm free to the second power. (laughs) I trust we'll all be more free when we're done tonight. One of the great banes of humanity is the problem of communication. Found this little story, thought it represented it well. Morris, an 80-year-old man, went to the doctor to get a physical. A few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with a gorgeous woman on his arms and a great big smile on his face. A couple of days later, the doctor ran into Morris and said, You're really doing great, aren't you? And Morris said, well, just doing what you told me to do, Doc. Got a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor says, I didn't say that. I said, you've got a heart murmur, be careful. (laughs) Now, you know, communication is a hard enough thing as it is. Right? I mean, how many of you are married? Okay, you know what communication problems are. Because especially you got this thing called perception. You know, where somebody will say something and we'll perceive that they're saying something different because of the filter. You know, all you men. Hey, baby, where'd you get the dress? I can't believe you just said that. What did I say? You said, where'd you get that dress? That's not what I said. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, yes, you've been there? I found this, and this is an absolute scream. You talk about a perception problem. There was once a couple who lived up in northern Minnesota. They had never been camping. The husband always wanted to go, but couldn't talk her into it, because she was a very prim and proper lady. And if she was going to go camping, she had to make sure that there were proper bathroom facilities there. (laughs) Excuse me. Would you like to share some personal testimony here? uh, 
I think we ought to turn the mic over to her. This could be good. (laughs) Well, Hubby heard of a real nice campground down around Black River Falls, Wisconsin. But again, she was so concerned about it, she wouldn't commit to go camping until she confirmed for sure that they had proper bathroom facilities. The problem is, she was such a prim and proper woman, she couldn't bear to write in the letter bathroom or toilet or any other such word. So she thought, well, you know, here around town, we call it, a, in our personal area of the country, a lavatory commode. But she couldn't even bring herself to say lavatory commode. So she wrote to the campground owner and said, do you happen to have a local LC on the campground? And off the letter went. Now, the campground owner received the letter and was a bit puzzled about the initials LC. Now, let's go to that next slide. What did she mean when she wrote it? All right, one more time. What did she mean when she wrote it? Thank you. He opens the letter. Do you have an LC, a local LC, and is it a nice one? He pondered and thought to himself, well, she must mean Lutheran Church. <laughs> so he wrote back the following letter. Dear Lena, I am happy to inform you that, yes, there is a local LC. It is located nine miles north of the campground. Now, I realize this is kind of far, especially if you're used to going regularly. (laughs) It's worth the drive, though. It really is a nice one. It seats 250 people. (laughs) Now, my wife and I don't go very often. (laughs) The last time we went, in fact, was six years ago. (laughs) It was so crowded, we had to wait 20 minutes to be seated. It really seems to be a wonderful place. Some people like it so much, they bring their lunch. Make a day of it. The management has decided to hold a fundraising dinner in the basement of the LC. And they're going to use the money to buy more seats. It really pains me that I can't go more often. (laughs) Like I know I should. But you know, it does get more difficult when you get older. Where's Leela Faber? (laughs) Especially in the winter. So we invite you to come down and stay at our camp. Maybe we'll go with you the first time you go. We'll sit with you and introduce you to all the nice folks here because this is a very friendly community. Oh, my friends, what you have there is a major perception problem. Webster's defines perception as that which is received through the senses or taken in 
through one's mind. Look at the definition again. That which is taken in through the senses or perceived through one's mind. That instantly presents us with a problem. And the problem is this, and you don't have to think about this very hard. We were made for a garden paradise, my friends. We were designed to experience joy, peace, and righteousness continually in an environment of unconditional love. Instead, we live in a jungle. And every one of us, I don't care who you are, every one of us has experienced that which we were never created to experience. Every one of us has experienced hurt and rejection and loss and frustration and disappointment and fear. And all of that experience, my friends, shapes our perception with devastating consequences both personally and relationally. We receive negative perception that is true. Now please understand that's okay. We all have things about ourselves that we'd really rather not hear. In fact, it may hurt to hear it. But given in an environment of love and acceptance, what does Scripture say? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And those kinds of wounds, people who will love us enough to speak truth to us that hurts, is desperately needed by every one of us. But we also receive negative perception perception that is false. Things about us that are not true. Things that we don't deserve to hear. Things that are not okay. Things that are desperately not needed. And the great danger of perception, my friends, is that if we perceive something to be true, even though it's false, it will be true to us and we will live out of what we believe. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And this can have devastating consequences. Let me illustrate it in a very silly way, but it will make the point. I cannot fly. I was not designed for that. But if I believe I can fly, that's true to me. And every human being lives out of what they believe. And what am I going to do? I'm going to go jump off a roof somewhere with devastating consequences. And this is true for every single one of us, my friends, as we live in this world. Look at this. We believe what we know, but sadly what we know has been tainted by what we've experienced. Because we've experienced that which we were never created to experience. And the supreme danger behind all of this is that we allow what we know through our experience to shape our perceptions of God. Happens many ways, first and foremost through our darkened mind. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says that every one of us came into this planet having our understanding darkened, that we were alienated from the life of God through ignorance because of the blindness of our hearts. And so what happens is we've got faulty thinking. We don't see the world through the eyes of God because we're separated from God. And we're so prone to believe lies that are not true, but if we believe them, they're true to us. I'll give you an example. Loving, godly discipline to a baby, to a child. I remember having to discipline one of my babies very patiently, very lovingly. No matter how much I tried to communicate my love to this little one, when I was done, this little child looked at me and says, you don't love me anymore. Where do they get that? 
from a faulty mind, a mind that is separated from truth. And you better believe it's helped along by the enemy. You see, we have an enemy. And if you look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says that every one of us, as we came into this planet, we actually walked according to the prince of the power of the air, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind. It's not really our thinking. It's his thinking that's been implanted into us. And if that weren't bad enough, then there's false teachers. Do you realize that the supreme call of an elder is to protect the church against false teaching? And they are out there, my friends. And how about Renaissance Renaissance art? Look at this picture. Frightening, isn't it? What an outlandish picture of the kingdom of God. Look at this one. Isn't that somebody you could just run into their arms? And if that it weren't bad enough, we have TV preachers who speak for God. You're in the bullseye of God's judgment. And if that weren't bad enough, how about our parents? Back one. Did that come out? Well, let me give them to you. I'm sure some of you heard them, big enough crowd. Can't you do anything right? You are so stupid. Why can't you be like your brother? It's not just bad parents. Please hear this. Even the best parent, my friends, is a hideous distortion of who God is. You see, in a little kid's mind, the way a little kid thinks, my God, my dad is my father. God is my father. What's the conclusion? Therefore, God is like my dad. We have a little test that we give to our counselees. They'll come in and, and they, they fill out a questionnaire on, this, on their dad. That My dad is like this. And it's about 20 different characteristics of their dad. About four or five weeks into it, we'll give them another one when they forgot about the first test. And we'll give a second one to them. This is what my God is like. And they'll fill it out. And it's ironic when you hold the two of them up. How much people view the God in the image of their dad. And it's, it's such a tragedy, my friends. We, would, we could put it like this. God made original man in his image, but fallen man has made a God in man's image. I would dare to say this, my friends, that if faulty perception of God were a disease, the whole world would have to be quarantined. That's a heavy statement. Mike Darnell, who runs Design for Living Ministries over in Alabama, wrote a little book years ago called Left Behind. And in there, he placed some pictures. And what he was doing is he had his counselees come in and draw a picture of their concept of God. Just draw a picture. What is God like? 
And I'm indebted to that because what I started doing was we started doing that in our own counseling ministry. And you learn a lot through a picture. Let's look at some of these concepts of God. Isn't that somebody you could run into their arms? Who does that look like? Doesn't that look like a parent? Look at this one. Begging, crying before their God, but so distant from their God. Look at this one. Look closely at the picture, my friends. Look at this little girl. What do you notice about her? What? Yeah, she doesn't have any clothes on. This little girl was sexually abused. Now, having seen that, look at God. What's his face look like? There's a hint of anger there, isn't there? There's a hint of disgust. But I think what's even more revealing is that he doesn't have a body. There are no arms to step in and embrace. There's no arms to step in and defend. Next, look at the next one. This one's a hoot. This one, I believe, was the son of a pastor. He's in a car. I don't know if you can notice, but the fuel tank is on empty. He's just past the next exit with 300 miles to go. That exit where he wants to arrive at is intimacy with God. And he's just past the last chance to fill up. And I believe this man, young man told Mike that he said he can't do it. He can't get to God. So we decided to do this in our own counseling. And look at this little lady. That's her concept of God, my friends. Isn't that so sad? What do you notice about this picture? There's no face. God doesn't have a face. There's no smile. He's shrouded in mystery. He's completely unknowable. And that is directly contradictory to what the New Testament teaches. He's a God who not only can be known, but wants to be known. That's why He wrote a book. That's why He sent His Son. And this lady's been raised in the church and says, I can't know Him. Look at this little lady. Now I want you to notice, please, that God does have a heart. It's just about one one hundredth the size of the club. (laughs) My friends, there is only one way, I believe, to correct a faulty understanding of God, and that's to gain a true perception of God. And the only way that's going to happen is to let God speak for himself concerning who he is and his heart towards us. In other words, my friends, let me put it to you this way. Don't any one of you dare try going to my kids to tell them what their daddy's like. If you try to go to my kids and tell them what their daddy's like, we're in for a war. And I'm not alone in this because I don't think you want me coming to your kids to tell them what your dad's like, their dad's like, do you? That's the idea. I want to let God speak for himself. And I want to look at a few passages. One from Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a great passage. You all know this story. Israel had to be disciplined by God. They were constantly rebelling. And so he said, okay, here comes some discipline. And he carted them off to Babylon. And he told them, it's only for 70 years. And then there's going to be restoration. But they got into Babylon. And people began to speak for God. Prophets rose up. 
said, God has abandoned us. God doesn't love us anymore. God doesn't care for us. He's through with us. And what did God do? He rose up, spoke through his own prophet Jeremiah and said, Who are these speakers? They're not my prophets. I didn't send them. Let me speak for me. I know the thoughts that I have for you. And they are thoughts of good, not evil. My thoughts are to bring you to an appointed end. I love Isaiah chapter 40. To whom will you liken me? Don't compare me to anyone or anything. I know who I am. And who I am is this. I give strength to the weary. Remember the Hebrew passage in Isaiah? Even the young men stumble and fall. Even vigorous young men, that's the Hebrew word for athlete, will grow weary and stumble. But those who what? Wait upon the Lord. What a terrible translation. Wait? Hey, when you are stumbling and falling, do you need to wait? It's not what it says. The Hebrew word there literally means to braid. What do you do when you braid? See, this is the Old Testament term for abiding. Those who braid with me will renew their strength. Is that what God's after? Uh Uh-uh. Check this out. Get your concordance. Look it up. It's a technical Hebrew word. It's not renew your strength. It's exchange your strength. Now let's look at the passage. I'm like no other. You stumble. You fall. You grow weary. Hey, braid with me. Braid with me. And I will exchange your strength for mine. That is why we will mount up with wings like eagles. Isn't that awesome? Let's let him speak again. How about Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17? Great passage. The Holy Spirit, what? Was sent to live inside of us for the express purpose of testifying to us. Present tense, meaning continually testify. Legal term, as in a court of law, that what? God is your Abba. Do you realize that? The Holy Spirit lives inside you right now to continually. God is your Abba. God is your Abba. God is your Abba. And what is Abba? Daddy. I don't know if I even like that. I prefer Papa. Abba is literally an untranslatable Aramaic word. It's Aramaic gibberish. It's what a little Aramaic kid would say to his daddy. Abba, 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 Abba. That is your God. Can I give you another one and let's let God speak for himself? I was going through a study in Genesis about two years ago, going verse by verse through the book. It's a wonderful thing to do because you, you catch so much. And in Jeremiah chap, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, I want you to turn there. Something fascinating leapt off the page. And when Abraham, verse 1, was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, watch this, I am the Almighty God. You might want to take your pen, circle the words Almighty God, and in the margin of your Bible write El Shaddai. 
This is the very first time in the scriptures that the name of God, El Shaddai, appears. And that is highly significant. Why? Let's follow the scenario. Genesis chapter 12. God sets his favor on a man named Abram and calls him out. Says, leave your kindred. Don't bring anybody with you. I am going to multiply your seed and give you a child. Now, Abraham is pretty old. And he brought Lot with him. Why do you think he brought Lot with him? You know what I think? Because he was going to help God out and that was going to be the promised kid. He was going to adopt him. That's what I think. Around chapter 14, he learns that's not going to happen. So he says, well, how about Eliezer, my servant? Let me help you out with this, God. He says, no, not your servant. I said your seed. Chapter 15 rolls around. This baby still hasn't come. So chapter 16 comes around and, and uh, Hagar decides to help him out, right? Along with Sarah. Sarah says, why don't you go have Hagar, my handmaid, and produce a child that way. And Abraham said, oh, all right. <laughs> and such trouble came from that union. Abraham, as you read in chapter 16, his guts are wrenched because he loves that boy. But he knows he can't keep that boy. And now, finally, in chapter 17, verse 1, God, for the first time, says, Abraham, I am El Shaddai, mighty God, your provider. I will give you this child. You with me? But here's what leapt off the page. I did some work into El Shaddai. Yes, it means mighty God provider. But it means so much more. The word Shad is the Hebrew word for the female breast. Now run with me. We've had four little babies. And I can't tell you the beauty and the joy of seeing a mama holding this baby at her breast. How does she do that? Like this? When that baby first comes home, what does she do? Just like this. Where are her eyes? On that baby. Where's that little baby's eyes? On a mama. This is your God. The breasted one. I.e., how I would translate it, your tender provider. This is your God. Can I give you one more? One of my elders called me up. So I just saw something I've never seen before. I said, what's that? He said, all right, run with me, Frank. I said, okay. He said, you know, on the day Jesus died, he said, what happened with the veil? I said, the veil was torn. I said, what's the significance of it? I said, we had access to God. Good. I've never seen this before. Frank, who tore the veil? Well, God did. Yeah. And what was he saying? Finally, I have access to you. Isn't that awesome? Finally, I can be to you what I've longed to be to you since the day that you first plunged into sin. This is your God. This is your God.
The supreme means by which God spoke was to send his son. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the very express image of God. In John 1.14 it says no man has ever seen God at any time. John 1.18. In John 1.14 how did he do it? Well the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Now I want you to think about this one with me. John 1.18. No man has ever seen God at any time. When the word became flesh we got to see his glory. I want to let your minds go blank for just a minute. Shouldn't be hard for you. You ready? First thing that comes to your mind when it's the glory of God. What? Ever and ever. The glory of God. What? Jesus. That's it? All right. Shouldn't let your minds go that blank. I'll go around the country and I'll ask that question. The glory of God. And I hear light, radiance, splendor, awe, power, majesty, wonder. The glory of God. This is the one chance God had to finally declare his glory because it's the first time the word ever became flesh and could be seen. And guess what the glory of God was? We beheld his glory full of grace. The glory of God is his grace. Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what have we seen from Jesus? John 10, 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for you. I give you life and you'll never perish. My favorite is John 21, 15 to 17. You remember the story? Jesus went to Peter. Post-resurrection. Post-Peter's failure. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep, son. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I like you a lot. <laughs> okay, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you really love me? Now put yourself there. How many times did Peter fail? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask him if he loves him? Three times. Doesn't that sound mean? First glance. Don't you think that stung Peter to be asked three times when he denied three times? Don't think like that. The key is what Jesus said next. Then go feed my sheep. Do you not see what's happening there? How many times had Peter failed? Three. How many times did Jesus say, go do what I called you to do? Three. Do you see what he's saying? Peter, I don't care what you've done. You're still my man. You're still my guy. Nothing's changed. I called you to feed the sheep. I still call you to feed the sheep. This is your God. So one of the things that we've done is we've gone to these people that have drawn these pictures and asked them to draw second pictures after they've been in our offices for a while. Do you remember this lady? This was her second picture. That's a healthy view of God, gang. Back up on that one, Linda. Do you remember what we said yesterday and today? That we went from simplicity to complexity. Look at the complexity of this drawing versus the simplicity of the next. Remember this lady? I love this picture. Look at this. <laughs> Back up again. Notice the complexity? 
Is she even in the picture? Now look. Look at the simplicity. There she is. A little girl with a living God inside her. This is a healthy view of God. God is always with me, always loves me, picks me up when I fall. And even when he judges me, look at that last picture, he's got a smile on his face. He is always pleased with you, my friends, just because you're his. He may not be pleased with what you do, but he's pleased with who you are. Most of you have seen this picture, Catherine Brown. I love the contentment of that little lamb. Look at that face. How about this one? Isn't that a hoot? But see, I want you to understand something here. Only a proper understanding of who God is will give you a proper understanding of who you are. Isn't that right? And now we come to a crossroads. We come to a dilemma. We come to a confrontation. What are we going to do with what we've seen, my friends? Dennis has said it so many times. The love of God is a settled issue. The only thing that's not settled is whether or not we're going to believe it or reject it. You see, it is all about God. We've heard that phrase a lot this weekend, haven't we? But it's also about you and what you're going to do with what God says. You've got to be like a child and dare to believe what he says. I've got a great illustration of this. When my first two children were just little ones, my 21-year-old, she's a five-year-old and my little son was two, and we were in a pool. And my little guy was diving in and I was catching him. And he's kamikaze, you know, back up, Dad. You know, and he's flying through the air and he's experiencing exhilaration and and falling into strong, strong arms. And and it was just wonderful. But my daughter, she sat on the sideline and she wouldn't jump. Come on, baby, jump. She wouldn't jump. And she was missing out on the thrill of flying through the air. She was missing out on the exhilaration of being caught by strong arms and held close. And she was missing out. And why was she missing out, my friends? Fear. Good. And yet so superficial. Yeah, fear is correct. But it's not the ultimate issue. You see, fear is a secondary emotion. It doesn't exist by itself. Fear always has a cause. And what was her cause? Watch this. It was twofold. She either didn't believe in my ability to catch her or she didn't believe in my character that I would catch her. And refusing to believe in my ability and my character, she sat on the sidelines and missed so much life. Ah. But my son kept jumping and she watched him and as she watched him she grew envious oh there's a great lesson there the body of Christ is watching us and I got to tell you guys sometimes we cause problems on ourselves with this right here with the tongue 
And I got to tell you, you know, I had a kid call me from Tyler, Texas, and he was in constant conflict trying to teach people this message. And so I had to finally tell him, you know, with all the love I can muster, would you please shut up? (laughs) I said, Francis of Assisi said years ago, preach Christ always and sometimes use words. Live before them, son. Live before them. Let them see your joy, your peace, which they don't have, and they'll come to you. And that's exactly what happened with my little girl. She couldn't stand that he was having so much fun. And so she came to the edge of the pool and she said, Daddy, I want to jump. And I said, okay. And she says, no, Daddy, come closer. And I did. You know why? Because that's okay. And your father understands that too. Closer, Daddy, closer. And I came closer and closer until finally I was, she was, felt comfortable. And she said, okay, I'm going to jump. And she jumped and I went, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> Man, I caught her. And she laughed. And you couldn't stop her, man. We spent the rest of the day in joy and exhilaration and love and strong arms. And it was incredible. And so it is with us. Oh, but Frank, I can hear some of you. Oh, Frank, though, it sounds too good to be true. Yeah, and you've got to believe it no matter how incredible it sounds. You need to jump. You need to let him love you. You need to put aside what you have believed and believe what he has said. If you don't, remember what I said first night? If you don't get this straightened out, you'll be a menace to every human being you come in contact with. I know that of which I speak. You see, I found this message because I wanted to love my wife. We were not at war. I desperately wanted to love her, but I found I didn't have the resources. She just wouldn't cooperate. She's not here. Uh oh. It's going to be a long drive home. (laughs) Dennis, would you come and sing a song of dismissal? All right, let me tell the truth. I didn't have... (laughs) It's hard to tell the truth. Stop it. Let's hear you about your campground experience with the bathroom. Come on. That's the best way to get out of a problem. Point your finger at somebody else. It was me. It was all me. I didn't have love to give her. She wasn't designed for the love I could give her. She was designed for the love that God wants to give her with me.
in me and through me. I had to receive before I could ever give. Men, you will never be a husband until you are first a bride. You will never be a parent until you are first a child. Be the child God created you to be. And let him be the dad that he wants to be. Years ago, there was a famous theologian named Karl Barth. We don't agree with all of his theology, but the man, I believe, knew God. And was used greatly. And there was a convention held in Europe of all these famous theologians. To put it in our vernacular of our day, let's put John MacArthur there and Spiro Sideriatis and, and Ravi Zacharias and Chuck Swindoll and James Montgomery Boyce and all these guys together. And here we are assembled to hear these incredible theological minds. And one man raised his hand for a question and he said this, Dr. Bart, what is the greatest theological thought you've ever had? And Dr. Bart thought for a moment and said these words. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I want to give you one last thing before we go. I was reading the book of Hebrews years ago. Chapter 11. You know the chapter, the heroes of the faith? By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Moses, you know, part of the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho. And then there was this obscure little thought. By faith, Isaac blessed his kids. What's that doing there? Noah, ark, Red Sea, Joshua, walls, mm, blessed his kids. Just to make sure we saw it, God repeated it. It's the only thing repeated in Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob blessed his kids. Do you see that? Oh, did you see it? God put blessing kids on a par with parting the Red Sea. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a home where I got blessed as a kid. I wager most of you didn't either. And I told our father that when I saw that, I said, you know what, father, wherever I go, I'm going to bless little boys who become men the way they should have been blessed when they were little boys. And I'm going to bless women the way they should have been blessed when they were little girls. So would you ladies please stand? We'll do you first. And I want to speak to you. In words that I believe a dad should speak to his little girl. But I also want to speak to you in words that I believe your daddy in heaven would speak to you. Okay? Would you just hold your arms out and be a receiver? Close your eyes. And we'll trust that Father's going to speak through us to you. Hey, little girl. You're so beautiful. You're so pretty. You make my heart leap every time I look at you. But I want you to know my heart doesn't leap just because you're pretty, though it's true. 
my heart leaps because you're mine. And I love you desperately. And I want you to know that you've grown up just the way I knew you would. And I'm so proud of you. I am so very proud of you. I know you've done some things, sweetheart, that maybe you're not too proud of. I know about them. And I love you anyway. And I want you to know I took care of them. And I took it far, far away from you. And sweet little girl, I'm never going to bring it up again. So please, please, sweetheart, don't you bring them up anymore either. Okay? Please, don't fight against my love. Open your arms and run into mine. I love you. I really, really love you. Now the ladies say it. Amen. All right, men. Let's stand up, open your arms, be a receiver. And let him speak to you. Hey, little guy. My goodness. You're not such a little guy anymore, are you? In fact, I don't want to wrestle you. I'm so proud of you. You're the apple of my eye. You are the apple of my eye. My heart leaps. Every time I look at you, and I want you to know I'm looking at you all the time. You're strong. You're gifted. You're called to bear my image. And I'm proud of the way you're doing that. I know that you've done some things that you're not proud of. Maybe even ashamed of. You've even tried to hide those from me. But I know. And I want you to know, son, that you have always been my son. You always will be my son. Nothing you could ever do can separate you from my love. And you're still my guy. I've taken what you've done and I've removed it far away from you. And likewise, I will never bring it up to you, so don't bring it up anymore. Instead, what I want you to do is put your hand in mine and go be the man. Go play the man. Because I will be there for you, in you, and through you to provide whatever you need. I love you, son. I shout it from the hilltops. I love you, son. Please open your arms and run into mine. So be it. Amen. Now go into the world confident. 
in He who is your grace and your truth. Be courageous and look in deep to your heart and with utter and sheer abandon, may you dance. Bless you.